This is Coda Radio, episode 258 for May 25th, 2017. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, like an eagle perched in his nest, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not again. I took steps. I took steps. I took steps. You don't... You, Jar Jar, listen. Come here. Get in close. Is that Jar Jar? Is it you? I mean, we don't have video, so I'm assuming it's you. It's right here, buddy. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Getting real close, Jar Jar. Okay. Jar Jar, do you see those gentlemen in the hallway? Did you... Did you or did you come in the window again? Did you see those... You said come through the plumbing. Oh, my... I did not think of that. Because I have drones on the outside of the building. I've got two gentlemen in the hallway with guns. I thought there's no way they're getting into Mike's room. There's no way they're going to be... Re- and Okay, now listen, Jar Jar. Here's what I need you to do, okay? I need you to go into Mike's bedroom and dig through all Whoa. the dildos and grab yourself the gun. And I want you to- <laughs> <laughs> Because that's exactly where I keep my gun. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know I what? If, you know what? If you're going to search my house and you're willing to go through all the dildos, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that what we're doing here? I, I, from what I understand, is how it works on the East Coast. I'm not familiar. Ah, yes. Those East Coast liberals. You know how we are. Yes. I, I, guns in your drawers. and uh, dildos. Guns in my drawers <laughs> with a couple of dildos. <laughs> Double-sided, of course, like Darth Maul, kind of. This is what happens when we record on a Thursday. It gets dirty uh, within the first couple of minutes of the show. I apologize. Listen, well, you know, I'm one of those. Uh, I'm one of those Romney liberals where you know what's up. You nice. You, you know that a lot of graybeards are listening to us now. They are. Yeah, this is a big thing, and it's it's all thanks to uh, Amazon and uh, Jeff Bezos's um, incredible foresight into the future where he decided that the only way to build AWS Cloud was to stuff it full of graybeards and demolish the cult of youth. Are you buying into this story? This is where we're you starting know, Every to year I buy into it a little more. Aha. So this, yeah. uh, this is good. This is good because this is actually a piece that uh, got me thinking a little bit about this. Uh, the piece goes to set up how really the whole tech industry – is built around, and the startup culture in particular, it points out, is built around the idea that if you're past 30, you're kind of over the hill. Um, the, he points out that Zuckerberg, 33 years old, and some Facebook employees call him Uncle Zuck. Uh, they talk about young founders being able to work longer hours and grind it out and have higher stamina and generally don't have families that they want to spend time with, you know, pesky things like kids. Uh, they completely commit to the job at hand, whereas older people tend to have other priorities in life. Bezos himself, 30 years old when he founded Amazon. Uh, And so I thought this was interesting that uh, when you look at Amazon, who's growing like crazy right now with their uh, services division, they just announced they're hiring uh, James Gosling, which is one of the original inventors of Java. He's 62. 62 years old. Uh, They also have other folks there, like James Hamilton, who continues to work at AWS. Uh, He cut his teeth with database technology. Of course, he's in his 50s. Tim Bray, he's one of the inventors of XML. He joined Amazon in 2014. He's 61. So 
You know, we call the show the art and business of software development. Yeah. Let's ignore the business part of it. Sure. An art implies that you get better the more you do it, right? Yes, I would agree. So wouldn't that, you know, logic 101 right here, wouldn't that imply that more experienced developers are on average more likely to be better? Unless, of course, your definition of better is, you know, death marching them till three in the morning. Well, I uh, I don't know if I completely agree. I, I do. Ooh. I do in general. No, I do in general. I mean, I, mean, I can't really deny with your logic. I can't disagree with your logic. Um, what I can kind of take issue with is different tools for different jobs might be another way to put it. Uh, there are some there are some times in a company's life where you just need people that will grind it out for hours and hours and hours. And it's more like an older generation can capitalize on the youth and on the uh, self-sacrifice of the younger generation to grind out some of the things that the older generation needs accomplished. Maybe I'm more pessimistic, but to me, it seems like two different things. When when a young engineer is coming up, she maybe is in her 20s, she's more likely to have to work 60 hours and grind it out. And then after serving in the trenches for years and learning and gaining experience, works her way up the company, becomes a CEO or becomes a middle management, and now all of a sudden is in her 40s, in her 50s, and is not working those same hours. I think it's two different types of worker bees. Oh, I don't agree. I mean, and, and I'm someone who has done the death march. I have death marched other people. I've death marched beside people. I oh, yeah, I actually yeah. think a, a death march, barring you know acts of God, right? You know, maybe a developer has to leave your project for some reason or gets sick or you know, God forbid, dies, and then you're shorthanded. Um, a death march is usually a sign of bad process, yep. right? And no, now that could either be planning. process. Right. On the sales side, where the customer or the if, if it's, you know, internal, the the manager's expectations sure. weren't set properly. Yep, 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 sure. Or just bad development process where, you know, one of the things, in fact, we we are actually instituting a uh, modification of our development process at Buccaneer to have a little more uh, kind of ground level accountability. Right. Just so we can get more metrics on what we're doing. Um, and actually, a much heavier emphasis on automation and replica, replicatability of what we're doing. So i I agree with <laughs> I agree with all of that, except okay. Reality still happens. Like uh, you have a ship date that can be ridiculous, or a, a window of time to get something done because of an agreement with somebody else that is just unconceivably unfair or you have right. somebody in town for two weeks and if you don't get that work done in two weeks they're gone and you, that work's not getting done and so there are circumstances circumstantials <laughs> there are circumstances that come up that require you to just bust ass in a way that you would otherwise humanly at all costs try to avoid and I would argue that maybe there's just different pe- types of people doing that work. I agree that it's generally because of a lack of planning. And what, what this article is trying to paint the picture of, and I think it agrees with you, is that, well, look, if you if you bring seasoned engineers in, people that are in the range of somewhere between 40s and 60s that have been in the business for a long time, they've seen some major projects through, if you bring them in and get them working long enough, then you eventually get to a point where you avoid these kind of catastrophes. And things even out, which is exactly, exactly what you would want from AWS, 
right? I like the idea that there's a bunch of gray beards sitting around going, you know what's best. And I say that now that I have gray in my beard, by the way. Uh, you know what's best is if we do it this way because I've, you know, I've been there when this happened. You know, these kinds of like lifelong experiences they can bring are going to make AWS a more mature, stable platform because it will reflect the people that are working on it. All right, let me ask you about a little thing called Unix. I'm ready. Unix was built 9 to 5 by the good folks over at Bell Labs. Well, you know, I mean, it's not just Unix. It's everything. How about the C language? Yeah, look at Microsoft. It was founded by kids that are – it's now run by uh, people that are much older. It's uh, Apple, right? Same thing. It's, in fact, the original founders aren't even involved anymore or dead. Uh, the, the, the all Even Facebook, like all of these companies that are major players now were started by much, much younger people that are run by much older people now. In fact, the entire median age of that industry seems to me – like it is shifting. To be going up. Well, yeah. it's, that's a little unfair, right? The tech industry was actually always an older industry until the uh, right, personal right. computer. Yes. Right, yeah, right. That was yes. kind of my point with, yeah, with IBM and, uh, and, and Bell Labs. Yep. I mean, I, I sort of think that one of the – and this is kind of a personal uh, change for me. You know, it's really, really nice to have, you know, a beer in the office, right, or to – not have to get dressed for work, right? To wear a hoodie or a t-shirt or whatever. Mm. But the trade-off between, you know, being lazy for four seconds in the morning and not just like combing your hair and actually like never being able to be off and not having process and not having a disciplined approach to things, you know, the more process we've added, the easier and more predictable our results have become. Now, that's not not to say that sometimes we don't end up in situations where, you know, a deadline is creeping up or expectations maybe aren't super well set. And of course, there can be disagreements, right? A development manager can think that something's totally doable. Um, and then sales. a developer might not agree. More often it's sales, right? It's me. So it thinks that something can be done and it can't. But, you know, I don't... Uh, I don't see a lot of value in the way we've been doing things since, say, 1997, right? I don't, I don't think that as an industry – I mean, of course, the proliferation of open source and distributed teams is all great. But in terms of the culture, in terms of the you know, sleep with the servers kind of stuff, you know, we get this email about once a quarter about people saying, hey, you know, it would be great to have some startup input. I'm kind of thinking that baby should be thrown out with the bathwater. Which baby like, specifically? The, the whole startup sleep with the servers hoodie culture. I think it just needs to go. Because um, you know what? Unix was invented nine to five by people who had families and were able to have lives, right? C programming language, OS2, um, DOS, all this. I mean, DOS was a little sleep with the servers of Microsoft. It's interesting. But all of the, yeah. yeah, all of many of these things did not require the fuel your development with your blood kind of thing. That seems to be some perverse mark of honor, right? Some perverse red badge. Well, okay. I, I, what if you look at it in a different lens? And that lens is years ago, the tools and technology of the internet were more immature and they had okay. not been fully built out yet or developed. And so more things were being created from whole cloth. People were learning how to set up infrastructure for the first time, discovering the limitations in, say, Ruby on Rails and having to stack up more infrastructure as fast as they could display fail whales. Like, this was a different time. And there were different sets of requirements. And today, when you go in, like, there are 
frameworks that you can work with out of the box. There is uh, Ruby and and all of these other languages are totally totally different versions than they were. Many versions uh, many versions different than they were uh, back in this era. So it's again, I almost look at it like that was the kind of worker we needed for that time. That was the that was the that what do we call them? Uh, 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 IT heroes. That was the IT hero we yeah. needed at the time, and now we've moved on. Technology's moved on. Connectivity's moved on. Virtualization and VPSs have moved on. Like, it's just not required anymore to some degree. And so you're right. I think it should die, but I don't think it was necessarily wrong for its time. I think it was necessary for its time. I don't buy it. I mean, I, mean, I got to be honest with you. I mean, not to quote Peter Thiel, because I know he's one of the least hated, uh, most hated people, rather, in the country right now, but... You know, for all the blood, sweat, and tears that have been spilled, we were promised flying cars when we got Twitter. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, and we got we got Facebook lock-in. Right. There, there's no honor in, in, like, Facebook Messenger, right? I'm sorry. And I know there's a lot of startup guys who listen to this. But, like, you know, e- emailing me and telling me that you had a great exit from your startup that's a social network is just telling me that you're a great talent who, who wasted a good portion of his talent. Mm. Whoops. What? I no, I don't disagree with you. Actually, I think when you you just convinced me, <laughs> I think right, you just like, you just you just you just you switched me over to your side. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think we need to like if you, if you are awesome, and this this is my bro because I know I know you like that work. What is it, dude? Not this is to the bros who like to email us and tell us about their startups. Bro, 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 bro. You are a much better developer than me. I will I will say that if that makes you feel good, because I don't care, because it doesn't really matter. What is most important, though, is if you are that good, you don't need to be making a new social network. Yeah, I don't need a new way to share photos. We need a way to renew energy sources, to more sustainably grow crops, to automate dangerous jobs such as you know extracting natural resources so that people don't have to do that. And maybe, you know, if I could have a flying car, that'd be great too. <laughs> hey man, I'd sell, I'd settle for a hoverboard, <laughs> like a legit hoverboard. Yeah. That's... I would not because they blow up. I almost bought one and then I saw another. No, I mean, I want like a back to the future hoverboard, like a, like well, I'm assuming McFly. you didn't want to lose your legs, yeah, right? I'm I assuming did. you weren't looking for a... Only about, only slightly more than I still want one. I mean, it's like a, it's like a 60% ratio. Yeah. I, I don't so know. You don't, want, you don't want like the Anakin Obi-Wan trim right out, like right below the kneecap, just no, slice them I'd off. Probably, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Oh. Maybe one day, maybe one day. Just a quick note. Um, of community news, I actually wasn't going to stick this in here, but it, it's been getting some attention in the uh, Coda Radio subreddit this morning, so I thought maybe I would. And it does look like there's a nice new version, real slick version of Cute Creator, but mm. uh, aside from an integrated text editor, which looks a little sublime texty and uh, actually rather nice, uh, updated toolbars, they have something that seems like a very, very useful feature. I'm looking for it, what they called it, I can't remember. Oh, Oh, here it is. It's really simple. You think I'd remember. Cute Quick Designer. So uh, it, it's going to be a way for you to mock up QML code while seeing a preview. And then, of course, you can use like property editors and things like that with the text editor. So you can click on an area in the preview thing and it'll bring you to their new integrated text editor. So it could be a way to really quick way to bang out uh, things that use a QML code for uh, like a you know, quick interface for the Plasma desktop or, or really anything that uses QML, yeah. which is more and more. You know, am I the only one who looks at QML code and, and it reminds me of uh, the C-sharp uh, Xamarin Forms kind oh, of scripting really? language? Oh, 
really? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. yeah, it really does. Huh. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I actually think, I don't know, to me, QML, I think, is a sleeper hit. I think it's, personally, I think when you combine it with the ability to do live previews, and it, then it starts getting, like, approachable to somebody like myself. Now, does it run well on your Mac? Wow, dude, that's that's a, that that was an attack. Don't you have a MacBook yourself? I'm broadcasting on a Raytel right now. I have <laughs> yeah, no okay. idea what you're talking well, about. I'm broadcasting on a custom built Linux box right now. So there you go. Uh, you can tell when I'm on the Mac because the sound quality is better. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> no, you know, uh, I actually find myself not using it very much when I'm not editing. Because um, it's you know yeah I, I weirdly use the Linux machines at work and the Mac at home right now yeah, uh, yeah I just recently grabbed the old MacBook to do a couple of things on it to grab a couple of things and I noticed I don't like the old trackpad as much whatever that's worth there you go but you know what runs great on on uh, your MacBook there Chris um, besides Final Cut not much what bad managers oh we have feedback oh boy. Oh, oh boy. boy, are you ready to read this? Because I, I lack the stamina. Oh, was it actually an email that came in? Was it actually? Oh, a giant pastebin. Oh, I don't see it. I just see that the, where you said, Chris. oh, 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 I see. Oh, that one. Oh, okay. serious. This is serious stuff. And don't forget to read the postscript. It's about Jar Jar. Oh, God, dude. <laughs> I know how you are with ignoring okay, my man. No, I'm, I am, uh, I'm fired up and I'm ready to go. I have, I've only had uh, bone broth for breakfast today, so hopefully I don't uh, get triggered. But here we go. Uh, this comes from Untitled, and he says, my team recently got a sub-manager. Okay. First of all, what the fuck is a sub-manager? <laughs> I've been there, and it, it is triggering me already. Uh, she says, and this reminded me of a uh, – everything she's doing reminding me of an earlier episode where Mike had talked about some management classes he had taken. We're now doing this thing called North Star. All of our time is blocked out in 15-minute increments. Short talks with coworkers need to be entered in as meetings. Small talk is discouraged as we are quickly interrupted by our new manager and asked if we're having a meeting, quote unquote. Getting up from our desk to take a short break is discouraged. And if we do so, we need to put a block on our current task to show that we were away for that moment. Everything we do requires tons of paperwork and evidence to make sure we are accountable for our time. Everything we do needs a hard due date, even when there even when the problem isn't isn't properly scoped yet. This made me remember an earlier episode where Mike had talked about managers making employees produce artifacts to make sure they had some point or someone to point the finger at when things just don't work out because Jar Jar knows it can't be management's fault. Basically, the whole team is at a loss for what to do. All joy has been sucked away from the job and quality is taking a big hit. That's interesting. Uh, had this new manager been a new employee, we could have done something, but they have been here forever and it's good ties to executive leadership. Maybe it's the only thing left to do is leave. Beware, North Star. Also, episode one was a great movie. Jar Jar was awesome. Yes. Star Wars is always for kids. A bunch of teddy bears took down a technologically superior empire with sticks and bricks. Hashtag Apple Action Show. That's a great feedback. See, That's you a- were doing so well. That was a good piece of feedback, actually. I really thought that whole thing was pretty great. Wow. So, you know, talk about taking the art out of uh, software development, right? I mean, that's really what's happening here at, at a meta level is you're just killing the, all the art in the process. Yeah, it's, it's like the Bobby Kotick of web development. It's like um, how we make it's like how we make teenagers get up at the butt crack of dawn to go to school so that way they can be sleepy, and we just completely ignore the biological fact that they need more sleep. It's or same like thing. guys who are bordering thirty have the same problem. Yeah, yeah. well, or or like myself, I I've been really really analyzing my my productivity time. 
And I've definitely noticed that uh, after about one o'clock, it starts to slide. And so at first I felt like I was a real jerk. Like, look at me. I'm a self-employed. And after about one o'clock, I don't get much done. But what I but what I what the flip side of that is, is between about 7 a.m. and 1 p.m., I get a lot done. I'm extremely productive. And if I structure it right and I just plan around my the flow of my energy and when I'm better. So what I've been doing is I've been shifting detailed work to the morning, stuff that requires focus and concentration to the morning. And I'm shifting things that require like email follow-up or Slack interaction and telegram follow-ups to the afternoon as much as I can. I still have shows in the afternoon that are kind of locked there. But I'm, I've, I've found that making this shift – has made me way more productive in those times. And I know that's got to be true for a lot of developers out there. And this kind of rigid system doesn't allow for any of that kind of natural flow of when you're better at maybe doing this type of work or better at doing another type of work and being able to shift gears like that. Or for God's sake, be able to get up and walk around. Wow. So what do they do, Mike? Uh, you got to go find a new job. Really? Yep, you're screwed. You don't think that if a group of them got together and put together a letter that they all signed and sent it to management. <laughs> kind of like the State Department. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe a memo. I mean, I guess it depends on how much you actually care about the job. If this person's true, yeah, this, if this person's truly like this, it's probably not a secret to other people. Well, I, I would also wonder what kind of uh, environment it is. Is it an agency? Is it a product shop? Is it, you know, is it IT supporting a business? Yeah, because that makes a big difference, right? If it's an agency, for for example, a reason uh, she may she meaning the manager may be insisting on all these artifacts is because they have to justify their invoicing, right? And maybe they got some pushback, and uh, and she's trying to kind of protect the developers from that, which is something you know managers at shops tend to do, right? You tend to not tell the developers that whatever. Um. More likely than not, that's not the case, just based on the you know statistics of the industry, and that this is just a manager who's trying to control something he or she, or rather she in this case, doesn't understand. Yeah, and this is generally what you see is when the the, the, the least uh, the least amount of understanding generally leads to the uh, the most amount of ceremony. Has been my experience, so, right? Or God forbid, they took an agile seminar, right? And so it, it's like it, it, it. Could you imagine from their perspective for a second what a fucking relief it is? Like you have no idea what these people are doing. You don't speak their language very well. You know bits and pieces, and you feel like you pick stuff up pretty fast. But it's still, you know, years and years of stuff you don't know. And on top of that, these people are kind of smart, and so that's a little intimidating because these are some of the smartest people at at the company. And I got to step in and tell them how to do their jobs. What the fuck am I going to do, right? So this process gives them a system to follow that they can have confidence in, that they can tell management about, that management can understand, that they can have confidence in. It's an agreed structure that even goes down to the developers that at some level there's even developer buy-in. So everybody's on the same page with the system. And so as long as we're all following the system, we can manage the system. And that's I honestly believe what, it's, what I believe what it's about. I could be wrong, but that's what I believe it's about. And if that rubs you the wrong way, if that doesn't give you confidence and security, like for some people it does, I, I too would go find a new job. Yeah, I mean process is tough, right? I've been on this long journey of like finding out what is the right type and right amount of process. And not enough process is bad because it makes you uh, inconsistent. Yep, yep. But, but, you know, and I have many customers who are like this. They, they just like serve their process. Like where the process becomes – 
kind of like its own monster that takes over. You sort of end up you sort of end up building the business around a process. Just like I'm learning, you'll often build a business if you have real estate and property. You'll start you'll start moving the business around that property and real estate. Like we are, right. we're considering doing things at this place that would make us sort of permanently here. Uh, and it's like, well, do I really want to shape the business around a building or should the building match the business? It's the same with process. Do you want to shape the business around a process or, do you, or should the process shape itself around the business? I, it's tough, right? I mean, yeah. life, life is hard. Get a new job. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I would really say it's time to start job shopping. And, it is. I mean, and be honest yeah. and, and you don't have to be angry. Like, accept that this is the reality of the industry and try not to hold a grudge and try to be understanding that this but, is just the way it goes. And if yeah. you have an exit interview, be honest, but don't be confrontational. Well, the other thing is a little bit of empathy might go a long way, right? Like there is a very small chance that your manager, you know, she could actually be like mean and evil, but more likely she's under some sort of pressure. And that's what middle managers do, right? When they're getting heat from upstairs, they start demanding artifacts. Why? Because they need to defend themselves, and that's they don't understand. They can't check out a Git repo. So write me a status report, right? Like that's that. I'm not saying that's the case, but before before you take a position of confrontation or you know it's you against her, you have to think that unless she is just you know preternaturally evil, she wakes up in the morning, decides she's going to torture you. It's more likely that something is driving her to be this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's got to be yeah and I have to be honest, I've been on both sides of this table. Yeah. And, you know, on the manager side, the minute I have to start comping invoices or anything like that, I start demanding to see these kind of artifacts, not because I don't trust developers, but because I'm building a defense if I need it later. Yeah, that's true. There is that aspect of it. Um, and if it's if that's how the organization can work internally, sometimes you do have to like you know have your ducks in a row so that way if it, if it if, conf- if it comes to confrontation, you can properly. Well, and also like when you're building artifacts, if you, if you're actually doing a lot of work, Git log is your best friend, right? So just Git log filter based on your commit name. If it was truly me in this position, and I've been in similar-ish positions, what I would do is I would start job shopping immediately. So that yeah. way you have backup plans. Because one thing you'll discover is even if you start getting interviews and you start getting some leads, that's going to change your entire life. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. a huge weight will be lifted because once you realize you don't need them, and even if you feel like you're, you're – it's just – it's a huge shift when somebody actually else wants to hire you. And then all of a sudden, you would probably find yourself willing to go sit down and have a conversation with that manager and explain what's going on right. and explain the hard position that you're in. And depending on how that conversation goes, you can opt to take the new job or stay with the current position. And you have the ultimate flexibility. You also have a way to communicate to that manager your feelings that maybe will sink in a little bit and help shape the way she manages the uh, I, I project would take going a step forward. Further. I mean, I would not have the conversation until you had the new job lined up and I would yeah. take the new job. Because this kind of problem... It's, it's not really her... It's not probably under her control, right? It's it's a process problem. It's, it's there's something wrong either with the, the relationship with the end customer or with the end executive if it's an internal job yeah, or whatever it is. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that you're not going to be able to fix. And, and frankly, she probably can't fix either. That's why I say get the other job lined up. And then there's a, you know, there may be a snowball's chance in hell you're going to stay there. But 
you have yeah, the option. They might offer you a, a big pay raise to stay, but that's unlikely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mr. Dominic, speaking of a raise, give yourself a raise by switching to DigitalOcean. What? I know. If you use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, you get a $10 credit. You apply that to the account, and you can cook around with DigitalOcean for free for two months because the base rig is $5 a month. Really easy, simple-to-use dashboard that has a lot of flexibility and power, like the ability to choose data centers from all around the world, bacon SSH, SSH keys, SSH, and also set up your DNS. It's a great system. If you have – like I go to Hover – and I register a domain name, and then I set up the DNS to forward to DigitalOcean. From that point forward, like if you use the same names in the DigitalOcean dashboard that you used in DNS and on the and on the droplet name, magic happens on the back end. You get stuff done on DigitalOcean in seconds that in the past would have taken days, and back when I was doing it, took weeks. Like it's incredible, and the infrastructure is unbeatable. It's all SSDs, forty gigabit e connections into each single hypervisor. They have the nicest API. It's super straightforward and clean and well documented. Speaking of documentation, they also have some of the best documentation online, like how to monitor services and hosts on Ubuntu 16.04, how to use different types of hosting environments like Caddy on Ubuntu, introduction to continuous integration, delivery, and deployment just itself. These are so well documented too. Like, let's take this introduction to continuous integration and delivery and deployment, and look at this thing. Look at if you if you're on the video version, you can see the way they have it all laid out on the left hand side. The clear way it's constructed on the page makes it super easy to read. So even complex topics are easy to understand, from server configuration to general concepts like this. It's all over DigitalOcean. You can get started by signing up, creating an account, and then apply our promo code Coder Digital to your account. You'll get the credit automatically, and then you can mess around they have hourly pricing with incredible rigs you can try out their load balancer their block storage and more digitalocean.com just apply our promo code do unplugged and a big thank you to digitalocean for sponsoring the coda radio program so i guess uh i guess did we talk about uh google uh, cotton last week I, you know i'm just gonna uh, go all in now i'm going all in now <laughs> google cotton yeah. Cotton, yeah, cotton, uh, Joe. Uh, we did, we did, and, and you broke some hearts. You, uh, yeah, I, uh, caused a little bit of trouble there, Mister Fisher. It happens, man. It happens. I sometimes, like you know, I just step right on people's uh, hearts, and I don't even mean to. I'm ruthless. Yeah. How so, you were kind of fired up about it? I'm a little fired up. I'm, I'm liking Cotton. A uh, number of people wrote us to, um. Basically, tell us why they do or don't like Kotlin, right? Oh, really? Or why it yeah. is or isn't like yeah. Swift. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not going to go back into that. Yeah, and you know, it, to be honest, I, sometimes we do this is we don't make it clear. It's not us necessarily making the comparison. We were discussing the comparison being made. I actually agree that, like, syntactically and kind of like stylistically, it's like Swift. And it would seem um, like that would be a reason that Google might be inclined to want to make this official move. Right. But my larger point was because Swift, you know, uses LLVM and compiles natively, where Kotlin is on the JVM, that is fundamentally different. Yeah. Still stands, right? Like, that's whatever. We don't need to to belabor that point. But we did get a bunch of uh, feedback on that. So I've been uh, thinking about Kotlin a lot because I am doing some internal stuff, some automation stuff. And right now I'm writing most of it in Ruby. Now, these are kind of like Slack bots when I say kind of like they are Slack bots <laughs> that integrate with uh, uh, you know various APIs, right? So Jira would be one of them. I I have a version of it that is currently running that doesn't do much in JavaScript, uh, running on Node. I have another version that I've been kind of toying with running on Ruby, 
And of course, someone releases a Kotlin version. And I'm very tempted to you know, figure out if I can get a Docker Compose container with this running uh, using a Java wrapper for the uh, kind of the BotKit API, right? Or if, if BotKit won't work, just to roll my own. Really? I, I want to say yes, but I feel like I won't because that's swimming upstream a little bit. Because, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the supported languages are JavaScript and TypeScript, and it's easier to just go that way. But I think Kotlin actually adds a lot of advantages, particularly around tooling, uh, because you can use IntelliJ from the folks who will never, ever sponsor us over in Russia. <laughs> oh, is that what the problem is? I'm happy to talk, uh, talk, uh, say great things about Putin if that'll get us a sponsorship. My friend Jim's already on it. Just call me, uh, just call me a, a IntelliJ Today uh, outlet. Oh, hey, Tom Hartman's great. I don't care what you say. <laughs> no, I don't know if I – okay, all right. You don't want to get into that, huh? I don't, so, think so. I don't think so. It's interesting. One, it's interesting how passionate people are about Kotlin because no one gave a rat's ass about a month ago. Right? All of a sudden, a lot of you care and you didn't care before. Um, it's like a rust level of hostility that we're dealing with here. Why is that, Chris? Why why do you think that's happening? Because I, I honestly, we got the feedback and I responded to one or two of them. And then I was thinking, there's no way all these people were writing Kotlin. Oh, yeah. Good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Right. Like, and there's no way like at their jobs are writing Kotlin. Like, what the hell do they care now? And like, I like Kotlin. I think actually Kotlin is a because of the interop with Java is a great choice if you're extending a legacy system and you want to kind of modernize what you're doing. Cause it goes all the way back to Java 1.6, right? So Java six, that's, that's awesome. That means you can use it in your legacy systems. Um, but you know, if you look at the numbers on stack overflow for Kotlin development versus like the volume of email we just got or tweets or DMS on a uh, Reddit, there, we're so far out of proportion. Which, you'd think which means, that we had. You'd think that we had said something about PHP again. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, but that would be legit, right? If we slam PHP, there is the actual deployed user base that would justify it. I think or even Swift. Right? Swift has a big user base. Like, it, you know, every time I hit Swift, it makes sense that I get crap back because you know, there's a lot of people trying to learn Swift. They see it as an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Is this must be? It must be part of. Uh, this is the way I need things to go, and don't screw that up. Possibly. I mean, I think it's a good language, but I th- I think like these, you know, there's there seems to be this. Do you think it's fanboyism? Because. It could be. It could be like this was. This is our. This is our. This is our next big thing. Don't don't slow them. I mean, it could be. A, it could be defending your fanboys. But honestly, to me, it seems. It seems different. It seems more like. Um, it seems more like um, advocation of something that's good, not necessarily defense of the Android platform. Yeah, I mean, mo- most people are writing in defending the language, not not Android, right? And Kotlin has been is used for all kinds of stuff. So I, you know, one of the things that was interesting is we had people kind of emailing and saying, see, look, it's just like Swift. And then other people saying, how dare you compare this to Swift? This is not like a me too product. Kotlin is older than Swift guys. Like Kotlin was released publicly before Swift was. Yeah. Now I don't, I don't know when development began in either of them. And that's not really material to the argument, but does it matter? Uh, like this is that weird level of tribalism that just seems crazy. 
yeah, I, I definitely I definitely run into it in other aspects too. So I, I know it's it's not something that's unique to the development community. It's not something that's unique to the Linux community. It's it seems to be any any major community you have a lot of that. Um, you know, I I and it feels like it feels like um, I, it's funny, Mike. <laughs> I've gone through it a few times now. I, I've definitely been through it with the Linux desktop. Uh, but uh, the time, the first time, the time I was truly invested was when it was Microsoft versus the entire technology industry. And I, you know, that was back when I was in school, and they were so dominant. And it was during that, you know, Windows ninety eight, ME, NT, Windows two thousand, all of that. While I was also in training. Uh, to get Microsoft certified. Uh, it just, to me, was it was the battle of a lifetime. Everything was defined by this fight. Microsoft was truly the bad man, and they were the bad guy in the story. And it, it has been, you know, many years now. I... If I if I like if I really if I really am honest, probably I still have a bit of a grudge way deep down, but it's not really it's not really there anymore. It's begun to fade. And now that I'm now that I'm really almost completely on the other side of it. Now this is of course, I mean, this is also like twenty years later, and I'm still just saying I'm barely on the other side. I mean, that's how deep this thing ran for me personally. Uh but now I'm looking back at it and it feels like such a huge waste of time and energy. Today I saw a tweet that uh, really kind of blew me away. People are reporting the ability to, to do Windows Dynamic Link Libraries, DLLs, to Linux. Rhyme. Microsoft has announced that they're, they've put the Windows source code <laughs> up on Git. Um, I mean, like, the, they, the enti- they now ship three different types of Linux, or they soon will shoot, ship three different types of Linux distributions in the, in the Windows store. Like, it all feels like, what was the point? It was so much wasted energy and grief. Uh, for something that really didn't matter, and you know the market just changes and shifts over time, anyways. And I, and I feel and I feel I, like I've also I feel like I've also been fighting that tide with the Linux desktop. Like I've been fighting and fighting and fighting for the Linux desktop for eleven years. Uh, to what end? Same thing. I mean, first of all, who the hell wants DLLs on Linux? I just say. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you want to run Windows Defender on Linux, how else are you going to do it? That's awful. DLLs need to go away. Like, I, you know what? <laughs> we don't need to replicate DLL hell on another platform. <laughs> I mean, there's obvious uses for it, but uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you could, uh, yeah. I mean, you could obviously, it, it'd be good to have some. Well, but, but that's kind of the point, it. right? Like, uh, you, and you made a, a mention about how you were you were kind of younger and just learning. And I think that's kind of what the difference is, you know, most of the people who had really strong, I would say, slightly religious opinions about this stuff were younger. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because when you're, when, you're, when you're learning, you and we say it like every other week, and I know we sound like grumpy old men, uh, but look at what happened to me with Objective-C, right? You saw that shit live. I invested a lot of my career in Objective-C, and then it was gone. It's not going to last, right? This thing that you – and when you're learning your first couple things, it's hard because you don't know enough general general stuff, quote unquote, to make it easy. But a, as you go, you know, things start to look really, really familiar, right? Things start to you – know, you have enough grounding. Oh, okay. So this is like, you know, um, you know, this is a fancy block, right? Like dealing with all this uh, kind of lambda functional stuff. 
initially when I was trying to learn about it, the thing I kept referencing was Objective-C blocks, right? GCD blocks. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Because the, the API I still know the best is Coco because I spent years working in Coco, right? And I, I really invested a lot of time learning how uh, how things were done in Objective-C kind of in that small talky pattern. So, I mean, you can even see it in my code today, even when I'm writing Ruby, I tend to write quote unquote objective C stylistically Ruby, right? My method names tend to be long. They tend to be like almost sentences, things like that. And that's fine. But freaking out live on the air during WWDC. Oh, wait. Whoa. Wait, did that happen? That did happen, remember? Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I remember. Oh, I remember. It's <laughs> uh, our most listened to show, in fact. I, I tell you what, it to me, yeah. it to me, it strikes me as something you learn as you get older. It really does. Yeah. It's something like, oh, okay. So, like, I, I just, I was trying to think, I was trying to visualize if, if time machines were actually real and I could have gone back in time and shown, you know, passionate me from 20 to 10 years ago. How bad Microsoft was at the peak of Microsoft was evil and Microsoft was going to destroy Linux um, and shown the and shown him that today Microsoft is the largest Git repo on the planet and yeah. that they've made a they've made a, a GitHub virtual file system that they're going to open source and that they have Linux on there. All these things that I always cite. Uh, they're one of the top contributors, the Linux kernel. I don't know if it would have stopped me in my tracks or not, but it. I mean, it, looking back at it, I would have said, "What's the, what was the point? Was it worth it?" And I could have just gone with the flow and maybe capitalized on it more. Well, I think that's the key, right? I think tribalism can be good initially because it f- kind of, especially when you're learning, it focuses you. Um, but eventually, things become commoditized, right? Things change, and if you if you stick in that tribalistic mindset. You know, even if you, let's say you were a, I don't know, let's say like a, a, I don't know, C-sharp developer, right? Or Java developer, whatever. Let's say Java because I know it a bit better. And you say, you know what? I, I don't like all this protocol-oriented programming stuff. I, I don't like this functional stuff. I just like Java. Well, that's fine, right? You don't have to write Kotlin. You don't have to write Scala. But if you do, if you take a couple hours and like do a code school or you do a... uh uh, the code gaming kata thing I've been doing, you might learn, oh shit, these lambdas are actually pretty interesting. And holy crap, Java 8 has lambdas. I can actually do this and save myself a ton of hassle with callbacks at work, right? Mm. Uh, like one of the big things is I'm a big fan of what's called the delegate pattern. Well, now that Java has lambdas, it's a lot cleaner just to do like a straight lambda function okay. than to do a delegate callback. Now, in some cases, it's more appropriate to do an interface and a delegate pattern but borrowing that sort of more functional way of doing things that really was influenced strongly by, you know, um, I mean, in that case, really Scala, but, you know, it could be any functional language, right? It helps you think about your code in a way that's a little less dogmatic and you're not just replicating the same pattern over and over and over again. Um, and, and this is kind of how I feel about kind of the Swifty and Kotlin-y protocol-oriented programming stuff. I don't agree that like OO is bad because I've been doing OO forever and I think OO makes a ton of sense. But you know what? There are lots of cases where a more protocol-oriented approach makes a lot of sense. Just like there are lots of cases where a more functional approach makes a lot more sense than an OO approach. It just depends on what you're doing. And being dogmatic is bad, right? But being dogmatic either way is bad. So saying that, well, I've been doing OO for 12 years, so I'm going to do OO forever is stupid. 
but also saying that, oh my God, bow to the Haskell wizards in their white towers. Everything must be, you know, reactive and, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. That's okay. also stupid. So, <laughs> I want to get it. I want to jump in on a couple of points you made because I think you're 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 on fire. Uh, so the first point you started with was that perhaps tribalism is kind of important to drive passion, and I I do kind of agree with you because I was so passionate about Linux that I became a specialist in integrating Linux with Windows networks, and that's what got me a lot of gigs. And so I and if I wasn't so if I wasn't so determined to switch people to Linux, I wouldn't have invested the time and resources to to bridge those two systems. And so you, you could be on to something with, with that particular point. Also, I, I'll say this. Uh, I, I got I to gotta kind of agree with Azure in the chat room. And he says, looking at this optimistically, Kotlin and Swift, again, he says optimistically, uh, do one thing well, and that's promote safety across the board, which is going to be actually good for mainstream programmers. And I think that's kind of where we're ending up here is uh, if, you st- if you take a step back and you take off your evangelist hat, like I, I think I'm, I think I'm going through a transition where I'm taking off my Linux evangelist hat. I'm still an advocate. I'm still a big fan of it. Uh, I still am going to use it, but I don't really feel the need to push it on anyone else. And if people right. want to use Windows 10 or people want to use a Mac, I, I literally that does not phase me. They're they're running a Fedora on Windows 10. Yeah, well there you go. Good, more power yeah. to them. Uh, gets hey, gets more free open source software on Windows boxes. Um, I, so I look at this, and, and maybe it is because my beard is literally going gray. Um, but I think going back to our first topic, with age does come a little wisdom. And so now I'm like, well, I'm going to use Linux to do my job. You know, we like I'm I, I felt like I feel like I've I landed in this position where I'm not going to be an evangelist anymore. A couple of months ago, but yet in the last few weeks, we deployed all Linux in our in our studio. Like I'm still going to use it for my job, and I can still talk about why I think it's good for that. Uh, but I'm not. But, you know, I'm just getting a job done now. I'm not here to, to sell you on anything. And I, I feel like that's what that first article was talking about with these AWS yeah. developers. Same thing. Yeah. It's like I got these tools that I know work. I've been through the uh, ringer a few times, and now I'm here to get a job done. I'm, I'm going to get it done right. Well, I, I think once you've seen like a major technology that you've worked in uh, rise and fall, it it just naturally changes your perspective. Right. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. You've you've seen you've seen even like the biggest things like the. The, the MySpaces and the Microsofts of the world rise and fall. It's like it's oh, possible. Oh, MySpace. Poor Tom. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, I'll be his friend anytime. He seemed like a good guy. He seemed like a good guy. Uh, all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, we have uh, – do you have any other thoughts before we move on on the uh, Microsoft using Git? And they've also developed GVS, GVFS, which I guess – you know, Yeah, I did, Git version file system. I, I did kind of want to share a couple of stats with you just because this is kind of a monumental moment. And so I thought maybe we could just cover – a little bit. So the Windows code base is approximately 3.5 million files. And when it's checked into a Git repo, it's about 300 gigs. Uh, Windows team is about 4,000 engineers. Yes, I said 1,000, 4,000 engineers. Uh, they produce 1,760 daily lab builds across 440 branches, in addition to thousands of pull requ- uh, validation requests. Um, they, they, are, they moved over. This is incredible. They moved over from an existing in-house system that they kind of forked for their own uh, system. Check this out. Uh, so the first and largest jump hap- happened this year, 2017, March 22nd, just a few days ago. They rolled out to the Windows One Core team, which is about 2,000 engineers. Those 2,000 engineers worked in Source Depot on Friday, went home for the weekend, and came back Monday to an all-new experience based on Git. 
And uh, Microsoft has had to build this GVS file system to essentially make Git work for a project at this scale. And one of the things they're doing that they outline in this uh, blog post that I have linked in the show notes, um, they've set up 20 Git proxy servers using Azure to help uh, distribute the load of all of their developers. 20 Git proxy servers. Well, actually, they're, uh, they're GVFS proxy servers. It's fascinating to read this. And they have so much details in their blog post. Um, they say overall with Git and GVFS, it's completely usable at a crazy large scale. And the results are proving that our engineers are effective. At the same time, we've done a lot of work to get the performance to a point where our engineers are happy with it. In fact, they talk about some of the benchmarks and it's nuts. Um, and they also, they, they surveyed their own developers to see what, to see how they rated their approval with the system. And, uh, they, uh, they overall, uh, they, they rated it somewhat satisfied. 54 were very satisfied. 54 were also somewhat dissatisfied. 17 were very, very dissatisfied, but 126 were somewhat satisfied. So I'd say that's, you know, considering developers, that's pretty decent if somewhat satisfied represents the majority. Um, and it's interesting that they decided to post that. Uh, it's, it's only 251 people out of the 2,000 that they surveyed, but uh, they said, welcome to the world, trying to get people to respond to surveys. They're pretty, they're pretty frank in their, in their MSNDN blog post about this. It's it's pretty neat to see them doing this, and then uh, they're releasing GVFS as uh, an MIT licensed um, uh, project on GitHub itself. So <laughs> it's out for uh, community contributions right now. The Git Virtual File System, created by frickin' Microsoft. Microsoft, do you understand? Yes, yeah, remember, Git originally created by Linus Torvalds. I just want to thank you. I wanted I wanted to point that out. Yes, throw that right out there for for everybody. I mean, what do you yeah. think Linus is thinking today? He's got to be sitting in the back in his chair going, holy shit. Uh, probably fuck NVIDIA. NVIDIA right <laughs> no, I think he's feeling <laughs> what he's better. always thinking. No, I think he's feeling much better these days. Oh, uh, I'm feeling a little better about because I have that on tape. Things are looking uh, up. Things are just looking so, up for in general for old Linus, I think. Since you're in a Microsoft mood, I did have a confession I was going to make. Oh, really? So I was goaded into taking the Visual Studio Code Challenge. I don't believe you. Believe me, past Objective-C, happy you're developing, Mike. <laughs> By the way, 20, 2014 is going to be a tough year for you, son. Yes. It's going to be. Um, don't, don't watch Dub Dub on the air. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I love it. Uh, what are we talking about? I for, oh, oh, uh, Visual Studio? Yes, Code. Oh, Visual Studio Code, really? I actually like it. I can't, I can't freaking believe it. You know, they just snapped it up, too, as a snap package, so it's super easy to install on pretty much anything. Oh, I, I just did D-package for it. But, yeah, it's uh, – I so far, it hasn't been annoyingly slow, and I was worried about the uh, little MacBook, but only 8 gigs of RAM. Mm-hmm. But it runs – obviously, it runs fine on the Raytel. The Raytel is significantly more powerful, though. Um, it is probably – exactly what i was looking for oh uh, it's going well so far i mean because i'm i've been getting a little tired of the gigantic ides yeah uh, I, my one complaint is that stupid sidebar on the left i wish i could make it go away every once in a while you know i had that um, same, that was my thought too yeah I, other than that it's not bad i mean it, it is the sublime text two that I've been looking so for. And you, I have, can you be specific? Because here's uh, – it's funny you bring this up because I've been considering I, – I went back. 
I just went to G edit, just straight old, plain old G edit, just to like oh, wow. sort of, just to sort of like you know go vegan for a little while with my right. text editors. Um, and now I'm ready to sort of introduce meat back into my diet, and I'm, I've been considering. Well, Sublime Sublime Text Three is my front runner, but in the back of my mind, I was also considering giving Adam another spin because they just updated Adam, and now it has native GitHub integration, which would be particularly appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really at a crossroads. So what do you? Because I didn't even really consider Visual Studio Code, and now I'm wondering if I should put a third contender in this mix. What, what's your well, reasoning? Well, the reason one, Adam isn't super uh, beneficial to me because we're an Atlassian shop, so we don't use mm-hmm. GitHub for anything yeah, yep. other than our open source stuff. Um, so all the GitHub integrations don't matter. Right? Oh, okay, That's okay, what it comes down to. Um, I like the IntelliSense, and it's. I feel like it's slightly... Now, granted, I haven't tried Adam in months, so it's a little unfair, right? I'm trying the most recent version of Visual Studio Code and Adam from like six months ago. Uh, it's been more performant than I found Adam. Again, that could be just because it's newer and they fix stuff. I like the Vim plugin. is pretty good. It lets me have kind of the best of both worlds, because previous to this, I was just working in Vim. Uh, I was either it was either giant JetBrains IDE or Vim on the command line, and never the twain shall meet. And I, you know, I was okay, but sometimes configuring big IDEs isn't fun, particularly for anything that wasn't like RubyMine, because you know, it's one of those things, right? I had RubyMine set up just so, right? Every time I get a new machine or I have to spin up a VM to do some work, it's a huge pain in the ass. Where using something like Vim or Visual Studio Code, it's just my local environment. So whatever setup of my environment is sufficient. Um, I, I will say that installing plugins is very easy. I am concerned. I'm running it pretty plug-in light, so I'm running Vim mode and I'm running, a, you know, I have a theme pack because I like the Tomorrow Night themes and I have um, the Ruby add-on to do uh, intelligent highlighting and some debugging stuff for Rails. Hmm. But beyond that, I don't have many plugins running at all. And I do have a concern, given that it is an Electron app, what what would the performance characteristics start to look like if I did decide to, like, you know, just load it up with plugins? Yeah, or if that 8 gigs of RAM becomes memory-constrained. and Yeah, and, and to be fair, right, I do most of my work on the Raytail, which has 16 gigs oh, okay. of RAM. And is, it, power and is a much bigger machine. Yeah, I'm not, but that's a fair point. When you're, I'm still on the road, me, you're still making me think I should give it a shot, though. I, I think you ought to give it a go. I mean, you know, for your purposes, I'm not sure how much it matters. For me, I have a problem with, like, misspelling API calls and things like that. And I'm finding the IntelliSense and Visual Studio Code really fast and really good. Hmm. So that, that just saves me from a bunch of uh, kind of stupid errors. Yeah. I'm also liking for HTML and CSS editing. It has the split pane. I don't know if you saw this feature, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like if you guys remember Dreamweaver when Dreamweaver was a macromedia product <laughs> way back in the day. Yeah, you could like edit the you could edit the code and then have a split pane of what it would render I to. I feel like most text, you know, most advanced text editors now that you can usually get a plugin that'll do that. But it's WebStorm nice. can do it too, right? Yeah, That's what yeah. I was using for HTML before yep, it yeah. was WebStorm. Yeah, I, another JetBrains product, comrades. I'm just saying, mm, a hearty privet. I don't know what it takes. I don't know what it takes. You know, you know, Mr. Dominic, uh, we have a little more to get to. So let's take a second here. Oh, I'm sorry. Here. I, just, I just got distracted. But Satya, can I have my money now? Yeah, right. I wish. ScaleYourCode.com. Go there to learn from successful developers. You get access to interviews, inside looks, and tutorials once you subscribe to their low-flow mailing list. ScaleYourCode.com. 
com. Go there, sign up. No promo code, no nothing, no creating accounts. It's it's just basically a way to get access to interviews with experts. You can listen to what top-notch professionals have to say about their real-world problems that they themselves have had to solve. You know, we've been talking about some of these people that are really established in the community and been working for a long time. This is it right here. This is where you go. Scaleyourcode.com. Get access to their insights. We've talked about this one before, but it comes up uh, on this show because I think it's particularly relevant to the subject that we talk about. And so I know as we talk about it more, maybe some of you are getting curious. One of the interviews that I would love to point you to if you're a fan of the Coda Radio program is uh, this one here with Thomas Meeks. It's Building and Scaling Code uh, with Docker. So they uh, they are uh, Code School. If you're not familiar with Code School, then you probably haven't listened to this show for a while. But they use a service or service oriented architecture, and they use Docker to power some of that. And Thomas Meeks is Code School CTO, and so you learn how they use a service oriented architecture to spread that load around. And they also talk about Docker, which they use in some of their uh, newer coding sandboxes, and they use it also to run students' code and verify it safely. That's a fascinating use for Docker. And it would make sense, Cold School would do something like that. So you go to scaleyourcode.com, you sign up on their mailing list, then you get access to the interviews. So go to scaleyourcode.com to get in there. And, you know, get about two to three emails a month, I'd say, probably. It's not bad. And trust me, I would notice if it was. Scaleyourcode.com, and thank you to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Code Radio program. And now we transition to medium.com, where we talk about how protocol-oriented programming in Swift may have saved one developer's day. It's an iOS yeah. engineer at PayPal at that. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, so I don't want to get too deep into this because I realize we're coming up on your your hard stop. Oh, my hard stop. I thought you had a hard stop today. Uh, the only thing that's hard around here is... Oh, Chris. What? No, I was just going to say taxes. They're hard. They're rough. Uh, see, now I have to go kill myself <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> I, I could, you know, you know, I don't really have much. I mean, I could make something up. I could make something up, though, if you need me. To. No, you're good. Yeah, so actually, let's save the protocol-oriented stuff for next week. Okay, all right. And let's talk a little bit more about okay. Chris Fisher's conversion to Macintosh. Wow. I, now, now I will tell you, uh, I will, if I'm in full disclosure, it has crossed my mind to uh, to just use the MacBook Pro as the main desktop a couple of times. <laughs> You know, we don't plan this stuff. I just assume it crossed his mind. That's why I well, do this. Because you know, it's a lot. It's a big investment. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to invest in this and make it a good editing system, well, then that's going to be a multi-monitor setup, and it's not something I'm going to do right away. But over time, it's just I don't know. But I, I uh, so far have not pursu- I have not pursued that endeavor. I have stuck when I when I just want to sit down and get work done. There is something about there. I don't know. I can't quite explain it. But something about the GNOME three work environment. Maybe it's just that I've been using it for so long. I've just recently switched back to it on my main workstation too, and something about it draws me to it. Maybe it's the nice keyboard and the nice mouse with a multi-monitor arrangement that I already have working. Um, the fact that it's always on and ready to go. I don't know exactly, but I, I find myself more and more drawn to when I'm working at a desk to want to use my Linux desktop. So it's, it hasn't I feel the way same yet. way. I, I think GNOME 3 actually performs really well on a big screen and not so well on a small screen. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I'm finding, but yeah, um, I've been sort of feeling the same thing. But what's weird is the Mac is becoming like a specialty machine for me. Yeah, yeah, like a build machine and a travel machine. Yeah, because just like maintaining two dev environments is not super fun. So I've been, I have done a couple of evaluations. Like I've set up uh, iTerminal or whatever it's called to give me a drop down Quake like terminal. 
Um, I've briefly played around with Brew, which seems to be a pretty competent package manager that's also available for Linux, it turns out. Uh, and Brew is something I don't think gets a lot of direct attention. I know the... Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Just not I mean, I, Okay. Well, I mean, I know that people are aware of it, but it seems to be yeah. pretty good stuff. Um, so I use Brew to install like YouTube download and uh, a bunch of other little tools like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been using Brew for years. I, I'm, I'm curious though, why would Brew be a thing you want on Linux? I mean, you have AptGet, you have yeah, uh, Pac-Man. Maybe if I was I on a distro that didn't have those tools? I, I guess. guess that's I don't know. I wouldn't sick. switch. But uh, so it, <clears throat> I'll tell you, uh, what would you do? So I have in the kitchen here at the studio, all boxed up, a pretty basically close to the highest end Mac Pro you could get when they still sold the cheese grater. I don't think it had the greatest CPUs, but it probably had at least mid-grade CPUs. It's got a decent amount of RAM in it. It's got a lot of storage, including an SSD for the OS drive, which is like 512 gigs. Uh, And you can put a a pretty recent AMD card or you can go straight up to a GTX 1080 in this thing. And you got it, you know... a a multi-Xeon or dual-Xeon or whatever it is workstation with SSD storage and a super recent graphics. So this thing right now in my my kitchen is all boxed up and it's on eBay, but it's not not going. It's not selling. And my thought thought is, well, you know, like, shit, the business has already bought the thing. We've already paid for it. It's a pretty nice workstation, and it would definitely encode video faster than my current system does. So part of me wonders if it doesn't sell, if I should swap out my main desktop up there and hook this thing up and start using that to encode video but then that would replace my main linux workstation which is sort of why i haven't made any moves so what would you do what would you do if you had the mac pro you already you bought it two and a half years ago so the business is you know already paid for it um it's it's basically in great condition because it's just done one job for the entire time and it's got a lot of horsepower still. I mean, they're still good machines. I mean, if it still works, why not just use it? Yeah, except for then I'd be using it as a Mac, and I don't think I want to bother with Linux. Because I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even try. Yeah, it's like otherwise, I would... I'd just rather have a tower piece, a PC. A custom, I have a custom built tower that I'd rather have if I'm going to run Linux. It feels like it's a better Linux box. So it's a tough call. I mean, I don't know. I'm waiting to see if it sells. Really, I haven't really made up my mind because for me more and more media production is a bigger and bigger part of my job. And it'd be funny because I just got done switching this entire studio to Linux. But I, and I don't think it's going to happen, but it's crossed I mean, my there, mind. There recently. is a tremendous amount of value in being standardized, right? From a kind of a business management perspective. Yeah, I guess I could put, I could put Anagros on it probably. I could make it pretty but awesome. I don't, what, what is the hardware support going to look like? That would be my, yeah, I don't know. Cause that's an old, that's an older, but I'd be uh, more worried about it, the fans. Cause they're all controlled by that Apple SMC controller. So I don't know. How and that they works. will be super loud. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I did that once I put a, put Ubuntu on a, on a, on a Mac and it was, ugh. if you take out the evangelist aspect of it and just look at it as a practical work tool, it's a harder question to answer. But right now my work setup works pretty well. So I'm not necessarily compelled to replace it either. But it does kick around. So you you called me out. It's not that I've done anything, but it's it's kicked around more as as the lines start to blur, as the world starts to blur. You know, like for a developer, they'll be on a MacBook and they'll be SSH'd into a Linux box, and I would be like upstairs on a Mac Pro, connecting down to my Linux systems in my studio. It's kind of ironic. Sort of sort of a flip. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to talk about? Because now you now no. you, now you got a spot. We can't end on this. We can't. I refuse. You got to give me something good. Something good. Birthday. You got uh, a birthday coming up for the kid, right? He already had his birthday. Congratulations. Recently, though, Thank right? 
recently. Yep, yeah. Yep. Wow, man. Ago. Wow. Uh, I am going to be going on an adventure in about 40 days. Jeez, I got to say, congrats on, like, uh, not really screwing up the show at all. Like, it really, you know. Yeah. I mean, talk about, uh, talk about a challenge running a business, having, a, having your first kid and doing a podcast. Trust me, as someone who's been there, <laughs> that's not always necessarily an easy thing. So job well done on that. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's. Hey, who it's would certainly... want to hire this guy? Who wouldn't want to hire this guy? How you do know, they, how do, I, they do I think that? actually, I'm just, I'm just saying we are running some promotions. If you go over to Buccaneer.io and shoot me a line, mention Coda Radio, you might get yourself a very affordable, very valuable uh, DevOps evaluation. I'm just saying. I'm just saying the proof is in the pudding, ladies and gentlemen, right here in the Coda Radio program. Where else can they find you online, Mr. Dominic? They can find me at DominicM.com. Oh, very handy. Find me at, at Chris Alias on the tweeters. Probably the best way to get a hold of me is that. You can find the network at Jupiter Signal. That's where you can get news and announcements. We have social pages on the other networks as well. I don't know about Mastodon yet, though. We also have a super secretive Telegram group, bit.ly slash jbtelegram, and you're welcome to join us there, too. And don't forget that subreddit at coderadio.reddit.com and your emails at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. I think we're going to be live again next Thursday, too. Find it at the calendar page. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>